What is your next mission from God? We all have one. God has something in mind for us right where we are. Welcome to Your Next Mission from God with Julian Durko, where the saints show us how it's done. They've been through it, and sometimes they even got it wrong before they got it right. Based on Julie's book, Discover Your Next Mission from God, Saints Who Found God's Will and How You Can Too, Julie shares unique stories from the lives of the saints to show how they searched for and discovered God's will for their lives. In the very early 1900s, the Frassati family was the richest family in Turin, Italy. They owned the paper, the La Stampa. And from this very wealthy family came Blessed Pierre Giorgio Frassati. His childhood was very interesting. He had a sister named Luciana. And the brother and sister, believe it or not, were often neglected. I mean, they even went hungry at times. It's odd to think. Uh, the, the parents were so involved in their own lives that they didn't give much attention or thought to their children at all. When people would come to visit the house, they were whisked away. They weren't allowed to interact with any adults or have children over or play with other children. All the adults they saw were the servants who didn't often take good care of them. They weren't a priority in the Frasati family. And it would have been a really sad and lonely childhood, but they had each other and they were very close brother and sister. The marriage between the parents was horrific. There was never an absence of arguing and bickering, always at the dinner table. They did have a formal dinner, you know, for everyone to sit at and eat. And it was just, it was just an awful experience to have these two adults bickering and arguing all the time. So this was the environment that Pierre Giorgio was growing up in. There was no religion in the home. His dad was an agnostic. And his mother was what we would call a nominal Catholic. She had some Catholic roots and sometimes she would go to mass, but she never received communion. There were no prayers in the family, no prayers at dinner, at a meal, no prayers at bedtime, nothing, no Bible stories. Their whole life was just devoid of any mention of God or the church or anything religious, unless it might be something negatively said. But Pierre, even as a young child, Pierre Giorgio had an empathy. It was just natural in him. So if you can imagine in this culture in Turin, Italy, in the early 1900s, the chasm between the haves and the have-nots was really big. And so people would beg or, or come to the door because they needed something. They had to be pretty brave to do it. But Pierre was looking out the window one day, and he's about five years old at this time. He's looking out the window. And he sees this mother coming to the door and she's carrying a child who's probably four years old and the child doesn't have any shoes. Now he knows that the servants are going to refuse any aid and he knows that he's not permitted to go do anything for them or he would get caught. So before they can come to the door, he opens it and he quickly takes off his shoes and he throws them out to her and shuts the door so that the, the servants can't discover that he's just given his shoes to the, for this little boy. It was all he could do at the moment. I think pretty quick thinking for someone who's five years old. But that's the kind of personality he had. But where the story starts to get really interesting is that when Pierre Giorgio is 12, he's slow in his studies, specifically in Latin. He just couldn't get the Latin. 
And his parents, even though they didn't give him much attention in life and, and still don't, they do care what other people think. And to have a son who's failing in Latin is not acceptable. So they sent him away to a Jesuit school so that he could be tutored and brought along in his Latin and be caught up with everybody. So although he came home for holidays, he spent the next two years with the Jesuits at their boarding school. And when he returns home for good at the age 14, he is a changed young man. He found Jesus. He fell in love with Jesus and he is never going to be the same. At 14 years old, he's begging his mother to allow him to go to daily mass. And she refused. She refused. And then after a couple of weeks, she finally relented and said, yes, you can go. So he would get up before light and he did this for the rest of his life. He would go to daily mass. And it was then it was very early in the morning. And because he had to go to school, it was he had to go early. So he'd get up in the dark. He would run to the church, attend daily mass and run home and in time to get ready for school. And then he kind of didn't let it be in their awareness. Like he would come home and then be in his bedroom and then they'd knock on the door to wake him up for, for school, you know? So once he got permission, it was a, it was a never ending situation for him. He always went to daily mass and he had a great devotion to the Eucharist. So as a teenager, he was typical as far as friends and fun and all that. There was nothing odd about him. He got along well with everybody. He was very popular. He was well loved by his friends and he was an athlete and he competed in skiing and whatnot. And he loved athletics. He loved the mountains. You know, he had a girlfriend for a while. Uh, he was just your, on the outside. He looked like any normal teenager. But he kept up this love for the Lord. And he became involved in St. Vincent's. And he continued his daily mass attendance. And he became, as he grew in his teen years, he became a third order Dominican. That's a, a Dominican laity. And so he took the name as a lay Dominican of Brother Girolamo. And then, you know, he would like on the streets of Turin at night, he'd be out hanging with his friends and they would often make bets. And he was athletic, so he could win bets. So they would bet money. He would bet not money, but time in the church. So if he won the bet, he and his friends would have to go for an hour at the church in adoration down the street in the middle of the night. You know, they're out hanging around. So you'd see them goofing around, jostling, whatnot, joking, everything up to a church. They'd go in for an hour. He'd go to the very front. They'd stay sort of towards the back, maybe fall asleep, some of them. And then when the hour was up, they'd leave and he'd be his playful self again. And there's remarks from some of his childhood friends or his school schoolhood friends that, you know, their parents couldn't get them to go to church, but Pierre Giorgio could. He kept up his relationship with the Jesuits and would go on yearly retreats and take his friends by train with him. But he began serving the poor as Brother Garolamo. He would visit the hospitals. He would take care of people. He would befriend people who, who needed a friend. He participated in nonviolent protests against fascism. And one time he and a bunch of of his friends, along with a bigger, larger group, ended up in jail and they were beat up and roughed up a little bit. And they found out the police, you know, they found out he was a Frasati, 
oh my gosh, when they found out who he was, they wanted to let him go, and he refused to leave, not without his friends. He didn't leave until they could go too. So he was known for walking around with his rosary in his hand, and he just had a heart for the poor. And so he goes off to college to become an engineer, and and he's still living this life as Brother Garolamo. So the poor, the people that he's helping, they don't know that he's Pierre Giorgio Frassati. They think he's Brother Garolamo and his family. They have no idea that he is Brother Garolamo and that he's this great advocate for the poor. It's an interesting thing. There was a young woman, for instance, she was pregnant and she was alone because her husband was incarcerated. He was in prison and there was, you know, the stigma that went along with your husband's in prison and you're pregnant and she just needed a friend. So Pierre Giorgio was her, was her friend. He saw to it that she could give birth in a hospital and stay the amount of time she needed to stay. He was asked to be the child's godfather and he provided the baptismal garment. But when I talk about Pierre Giorgio taking care of people, what he did for this family is, is really beautiful because the husband of this woman would be released from prison and not able to get a job because he was an ex-con. And so what Pierre Giorgio does is he uses his influence as a frasati to get this man a job. And when he's released from prison, he meets him. And does he take him straight to his family for a reunion? No. He takes him straight to secure his job before he goes home to meet his family so that he can be the husband and father that he needs to be. And so this was the kind of, this was the way that Pierre Giorgio operated. So anyway, he got really sick. He used to visit the hospitals a lot and they think that he contracted polio there. But he gets sick rapidly and there's a big storm in the Alps and they can't get the medicine to him. And just within a few days, he dies. And he's only 24. Young man died, you know, died in the prime of life. And it, it seems so unfortunate that somebody so good should die so young. But anyway, his parents, you know, they arrange for a funeral and, and all that goes along with it. And they expected college friends to come because he was still in college and they expected dignitaries and wealthy friends to come and pay their respects. But what happens is that the people of Turin discover that their beloved brother Garolamo was actually a Frassati. He was Pierre Giorgio Frassati. And they line up the streets Thousands upon thousands of people are there for his funeral procession and outside the home where they had the body, people want to come and they want to go in and they want to, to touch their rosary or a medal to his hands because they know that he's a saint, you know, they know that. And he had walked the streets always with a rosary in his hand. He was very devoted to Our Lady and very devoted to the Eucharist. So his parents learned of his true identity, who he was after he died. And of course, the people of Turin learned about their brother Garolamo and who he was. This woman, she wrote this about him when he would visit. She went with him once to visit a hospital. Quote, he would wander through the corridors with a secure and steady spirit of charity, consoling the wretched and stopping to talk to them as if they were really his brothers. 
He would bring them money, candy, clothes, and would never forget to kiss them warmly as though they were the closest of friends, not even stopping to think of the possibility of the risk of infection or having any hint of human repulsion. Well, that was, that was Pierre Giorgio. And he was very young. And look at the impact he made. Very young. We should not underestimate our young people. There's a reason why we have First Communion for, for children who are seven. They can get it. They're totally capable. If they can learn all the characters on their, the princesses on Disney and the, all the, the characters that they do for play, they can learn about Jesus and his church. And they are innocent and they can get it. Pierre Giorgio found his pearl of great price. He found the treasure when he was just, you know, somewhere between 12 and 14 years old. And he realized maybe it was because he was so sad that he realized what a treasure it was to find the Lord. Now, John Paul II wrote to us about embracing our mission at any age. And he has a document It's the letter to the elderly because it's the very young and the very old often think that they don't have something to contribute. And in his letter to the elderly, you can search for it on the internet. It's easy to pull up. He wrote this and it's for all ages. And that letter is beautiful. Anyone, everyone should read it. Quote, at every stage of life, the Lord can ask each of us to contribute what talents we have. The service of the gospel has nothing to do with age, unquote. Thank you for joining me today. On our next program, we will discuss that God always has a plan, no matter how it looks. This is Julie Anderko with your next mission from God. Pray with me. Jesus, Mary, Joseph, we love you. You've been listening to Your Next Mission from God with Julie Anderko, produced at the studios of Mater Dei Radio in Portland, Oregon. To listen to this podcast, visit materdayradio.com. To find out more about Julie's book, Discover Your Next Mission from God, Saints Who Found God's Will and How You Can Too, or if you're in need of a Catholic speaker for a parish mission, retreat, conference, or event, visit catholicfinishstrong.org. That's catholicfinishstrong.org.